ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, what's going on, man? Uh, what's going on? I haven't given a baseball update for a while, Nathan. It is good. Is there anything to update? Well, the Orioles won five in a row. What? There you go. And we were living large, and then we lost three in a row um, <laughs> because there's a man named Ubaldo Jimenez, who I will speak in charitable Christian terms, needs <laughs> needs to not be pitching for the Orioles any longer. So uh, they start a uh, three-game series with Boston tonight, Nathan, a, 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 a team that you should have now repudiated now that you've lived in Maryland long enough. Um, Dude, isn't it enough that I don't care about sports? I know. <laughs> hey, it's a blessing right now. It's a blessing. It's better to not be an Orioles fan. We're in a little bit of a slide, and we're facing David Price tonight, who some of our listeners probably know is quite a uh, a stellar pitcher. Um, you know, and so you know, Orioles aren't doing so great, but they are tied for first at the moment. Um, there you go. Other than that, doing and dude, tonight I want to proclaim the dedication of the podcast. My son is in a playoff game. Ooh. And I am here hoping that he wins so I can catch the next playoff game. Absolutely. Dude, so you're we'll you're going hardcore tonight. I am, man. man. He knows that we've got a great guest on tonight. And uh, he said, rock on. <laughs> nice. He, did, he didn't, but in, <laughs> in my mind. In your head, he did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of things happen in your head, yes. don't they? <laughs> many, many things happen in my head that never reach an average person and probably for good reason. That's, that's probably true. Yes. You know, it's funny because I was just um, I was just thinking we were going live, and I was trying to remember which podcast I was doing tonight. <laughs> Dude, you Nathan Bell for our listeners has been rocking the podcast circuit because not only is he the uh, the host as well of our spinoff pop podcast yeah. Pop Culture Ninja, which uh, the Reverend James King called Pop Ninja Culture. That's right. Um, you do you do that, and you just guested on Popcorn Theology. Popcorn right? Theology, yeah. To talk about Highlander. Highlander, yep. There, yep. Can, there can only be one. That's right. So shout out to uh, Popcorn Theology. Check out um, check out them. Check out their uh, the episode that I did with them. Uh, a lot of people. There's been a lot of threads going through that that movie was an absolute horrible movie. Yep. <laughs> Full disclosure, it was. But it, hey, it's it's an 80s action movie. What more could you ask for? That's right. So. Not, not every movie can reach the uh, cinematic heights of Cannonball Run That's, 2. That's so, Smokey um, and the Bandit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, you, you've got to get it right, dude. That, it's like when I moved up here to plant the, my church. I've only served in two churches. Right. For the first year, I would answer the phone, still met an evangelical free church, and uh, people would hang up, go to another church. So, yeah, you'll get it right. We'll, we'll steer your course. Keep, keep, keep it all straight here. Yes. Um, but... Since we are on These Go to 11, we do have uh, a couple sponsors, and tonight we are going to highlight uh, Mission Aware, so take it away. Mission Aware, which will soon be releasing, we've been saying that, but we've got confirmation now, some uh, uh, These Go to 11 swag as well. That's right. And maybe some swag of another famous character, but we'll get to that in, in due time. But Mission Aware is offering a great Father's Day deal right now. Um, if you're looking for just great gifts for dad, mugs, I always love the, uh, the, the, the morning surge with Spurge, yes. uh, great Charles Spurgeon coffee mug, um, just great t-shirts that have, you know, I mean, gosh, they got reformed guys on them and great quotes from Calvin and Edwards and, uh, you can get your Sola Scriptura t-shirt and, uh, great things. If you're looking for something unique for dad, uh, spend $50, um, and get $10 off. Nice. Uh, Mission Aware, and you can put Sustain 11 as a promo code as well. But I'm not even sure you need it. But just in case, <laughs> Sustain 11 will get you that from Mission Aware. That's right. All right. So we are uh, so excited about our two guests that we have on today. Um, we're going to introduce Ron Gordy first. Ron, how are you? Doing good tonight. Good to be here. Ron, if you want to just give uh, everyone a little background information about who you are, friends, family, all that fun stuff. Well, I've, I've been uh, coming to Christ Fellowship Church for about 10 years. Wow. Um, uh, benefited greatly from Greg's sermons every week. And uh, How much did he pay you to say yeah. that? <laughs> Neither, no, just, brother, let him go. Let him go. <laughs> just let him go, man, because I, I, I'm going to take this good favor while it lasts. Here, Ron, I'll slip yeah. that to you it's, under the table. It's dinner next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, That's a Ruth's Chris night out right there. <laughs> yes. um, but 
Uh, yeah, married for 25 years just this past May 25th wow. was actually our 25th anniversary. Congratulations, Rob. To, uh, to Luann, formerly Brown, now Luann Gordy, and we have three lovely daughters, um, 22, 20, and 17, and the, Danielle, Hannah, and Emma. And uh, Danielle just graduated from Towson with her nursing degree, passed her boards last week. Hey, that's great. Um, nice. It's taking like a 10-day trip to Costa Rica, Ooh. which she's there now. And then we'll slide that hopefully into a job um, in the near future. Yes. So we're excited about that. Yes. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. And you're excited too, Rana. Eventually the yeah, the student debt may be coming to an end sometime yeah. in the next decade. The car insurance <laughs> will go down. <laughs> yeah. Cell phone bill will go down. Yeah. And Anyway, that's very exciting. We're, we're very grateful for all that's the, the good things. Awesome. Congrats on the 25 years too, Ron. That, that, that rocks, right. man. That's right. great. Um, and the reason we have Ron Gordy on today is because of our other special guests that we have on. Greg, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce. Yes, we are honored to have on um, a man who I always refer to as Dr. Dale Ralph Davis. Uh, I was telling him before we uh, went live tonight that uh, when I quote him in my sermons, I'm, I'm in the book of Judges right now, and uh, you know, as I'm buttering him up, it's my favorite commentary on Judges of, of the many good ones. And uh, I usually have a picture of the author at the bottom right corner of the slide, the PowerPoint slide, and his name. And Ron's dear wife came up to me a few weeks ago, and she goes, yeah, it always confuses me when you call him Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, because he's Ralph. Uh, so it is Ralph Davis, who is our guest tonight. And uh, Dr. Davis, thank you for joining us. Oh, that's fine. Glad to. And uh, we wanted to give you the chance to tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, where you've pastored, where you've taught, family, friends, all that, if you could give us a, a brief bio. Oh, well, I, I try to really keep it brief. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in western Pennsylvania um, and uh, have been to about uh, uh, four different seminaries for various levels of of. Uh, of graduate work and so on. I uh, had about four different pastors over the years. I uh, taught at the Reformed Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. I had two tours of duty there, and uh, then uh, technically retired from the, from the last uh, pastorate in uh, 2010. Uh, moved to Tennessee, and then after three years, we came down here to Columbia, South Carolina, where uh, technically, I'm called minister in residence at First Presbyterian Church here, which which simply means I do the Sunday evening preaching. Yes, and uh, so that's that's what we're doing right now. Yes. Yeah, so, would you say, uh, Doctor Davis, that you are retired in quotes? Because if you're preaching every Sunday, uh, evening. yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of retreaded. Uh, yes, yes, that's great. And uh, and uh, wife and children and grandchildren and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, wife Barbara, uh, if we make it to the uh, latter part of August, will be uh, 50 years. Wow. And um, got three three uh, grown sons uh, and their wives and uh, five grandchildren. Wow. Wow, that's great. See, Ron, you're a lightweight now after that. Yeah, that's right. We were getting excited about 25 years. Dr. Davis has <laughs> 50 years coming. That's... Um, that's wonderful. But one thing interesting about that, we were married in 1991, which is when Ralph was at Asquith during that mm -hmm. span, I think ending in 94, maybe. And then mm -hmm. our first child, Danielle, was born in August of 93, and Ralph baptized her in yeah. January of 94. I wow. Think. Mm. Wow. So that was, yeah. That's, yeah, that was uh, quite a privilege. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And, Ron, you were there. You've told me this before, Ron, and uh, Dr. Davis, I'm sure you know. Was that also the church Tom Graham pastored? Right. That's, that's correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And was, uh -huh. was that uh, after you, Dr. Davis, or was that before? Uh, he was, Tom was there before uh, I came to Asquith and, and during the time that, that Ron and his family were there. Um, Tom Tom uh, pastored at Asquith for I think eighteen years, oh, okay. and then uh, he he got uh, cancer, 
and and I think it was probably within two months, maybe after he was diagnosed, that he died. So that was quite a blow. He, wow. He he had met, he had had quite a substantial impact on that congregation, and um, so on, and and uh, in in his years, and so it it was quite a uh, it was quite a blow to to lose Tom. Yeah, wow. I, re- I remember there, that. Right? Yeah. Um, and what you're saying is exactly right. It was very sudden, and really looking back from where my age now, really relatively young. Um, I think the early fifties. Also, I remember you were talking about your sons Luke and Joel and Seth, and then when we were there, they were members of like the youth group. Oh, so wow. that's, yeah, things change. And, <laughs> wow, and then. Danielle, who you baptized, uh, and then we added two more daughters to our family. So right. three girls <laughs> and three boys. So kind of yep. a complement of each other. <laughs> How about that? So wow, that's um, yeah. Asquith then has had quite a uh, quite a uh, period of time because it, uh, just so you know, uh, I grew up in Parkville, which is very close to that area. I guess it is technically Parkville, isn't it? Yeah, right. Basically up the street. Yeah. And uh, I came to Christ in 86 and, and did not end up in a PCA church until I was at Valley in uh, the early 90s. And um, I remember reading a book by R.C. Sproul. I think it was his book on suffering. And he's talking about a man from Baltimore, Maryland named Tom Graham. And I still remember, I think, John Gerstner, somebody had written him a note that said R.C., Tom Graham died today in the faith, and he talked about what it meant to die in the faith and the friendship he had. And I think you told me, oh, yeah, I knew him and, and yeah. uh, just this yeah. small world. And um, to pull some of these threads together, particularly for our audience uh, that might not be from this area and say, hey, I don't quite get the uh, geographical locale. Um, Dr. Davis, when I was in seminary, uh, one of my Old Testament profs was uh, Dr. Uh, Robert uh, Vinoy. And he was a tremendous teacher. He lit a fire in me for uh, what he called redemptive historical preaching. I never knew what that was. Um, He gave us a little exercise in an Old Testament introduction class where he said, okay, everybody, take the story of Isaac uh, being offered up uh, by Abraham in obedience and come up with a quick impromptu sermon. Well, I was salivating to show my exemplary preaching skills. And uh, I came up with a quick outline, as everybody did. And he went around the class and asked everybody to give the outline. I think mine even had uh, three points that all started with the same letters. You know, I had to have the uh, <laughs> I, I had to have the alliteration game going. So I talked about the, uh, uh, the faith of Abraham. Um, I can't remember the, uh, it was the faith, uh, the fight, and something else, and I felt so good about it. And everybody's example was was uh, quite literally an example, meaning the point of the text was um, Abraham had great faith, and we should imitate him in his faith. And um, mm-hmm. Dr. Vinoy said, hey, that, that is a, a fair and legitimate point. That's not the main point of the text, which crushed me, um, you know, made me think that uh, I had completely misread everything. And began to explain what redemptive historical preaching was. So we'll probably talk about that tonight, and, and to hear from uh, quite a master in this subject uh, um, tonight on this podcast. But I um, strove to learn how to do redemptive historical preaching, and um, mm-hmm. I would give uh, Doctor Vinoy uh, some of my outlines, and he was very kind and said, "Yeah." Uh, no. <laughs> said, and I asked him one time, I said, uh, Dr. Manoy, who, who does this? Who, who can I find that does Old Testament narrative in a redemptive historical way? And he said, oh, uh, Dale Ralph Davis, um, without any hesitation. So that's the first time I ever heard of you. And um, mm. I, I have been blessed. I feel like you're a friend of mine, a mentor, Dr. Davis, even though we've never met, uh, because for the past several years I've been reading your uh, books, your sermons, and I was wondering if you could, uh, perhaps for the benefit of our, uh, of our audience, um, try to tell us what that means. What is redemptive historical preaching, particularly as you do it in the Old Testament? 
Well, I'm sure some people could could define it a lot better than I could. Um, Dr. Vinoy himself would. He he has done great work in Old Testament, and I think it was for a number of years at uh, Biblical Seminary. That's right. In, there in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, and I've I valued his work. He's just come out or has come has published within the last several years a, a commentary on First and Second Samuel that yes. I've used to great profit. So I'm deeply indebted to him. Hmm. But um, I'd say redemptive historical preaching. I don't. I don't know if I would. Uh, I don't know if I can define it so well. I, I think I would come at it from just the way I tend to come at a passage. And I. This is not. I don't know if you call this redemptive historical or not. Uh, but whenever I come at an Old Testament passage, my first question is, um, what is this telling me about God, and mm-hmm. what is God doing here? In other words, uh, I think it has to have what I would call a theocentric, or uh, uh, interpretation has to have a, a theocentric or a God-centered approach. And, and if I begin looking through that kind of a lens, I usually can can pick up, uh, I think, the thrust of an Old Testament narrative, for instance. Um, uh, so I, I, I keep, I, I guess I'm not too concerned about uh, the redemptive historical as just that it doesn't, that, that we stay away from what you call the exemplary uh, uh, slavery uh, earlier, um, and, and nothing wrong with nothing wrong with exemplary uh, preaching in a way. If if the if the Old Testament text wants to highlight an example, I mean, if it intends to push an example, a human example, why why that's okay. I mean, I, I think we need to highlight that. But but by and large, overall, I think most of the most of the uh, the time we look at an Old Testament text, we need to be looking at it. Uh, what what is God doing? What's at work here? How is He carrying out His <laughs> excuse me covenant plan to to uh, bring blessing to the nations and to uh, preserve and to redeem his people, and so on. It, it gets much richer if you keep your eyes on God. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there's there's just no end of excitement if you if you just keep your eyes on trying to find examples for oneself. Uh, uh, it, get, it can get kind of boring. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, very good. Just to give a flavor uh, to our audience a uh, little bit. I, as I mentioned, I, I'm going through judges now. Um, and uh, have benefited greatly from uh, one of uh, Dr. Uh, Davis's commentaries on, on that, that book. And um, here's a quote uh, that I just shared a few weeks ago, um, and it's from your commentary. It says, This God of Israel is strange. Yahweh has no wife, no consort. Biblical religion holds that you will find Yahweh acting in history, not pulsating in nature. He sits on a throne high and lifted up from which he rules, creates, preserves, and redeems. He does not lounge in some celestial bedroom, copulating with his feminine divine counterpart. It has become so difficult for us to grasp how different, how holy the God of the Bible is. Um, Just great language, down-to-earth, provocative language. And there, of course, you were saying how it was so common in pagan Canaanite religion to have right. a uh, you know male god, a, a male and his counterpart, and uh, <clears throat> just those are the kinds of insights I wanted our our listeners to to get. And I'm curious, Ron, going to put you on the spot now. Um, what books do you remember Dr. Davis preaching through years ago at Asquith? Oh, see, wow. I'm I, I'm really <laughs> testing him tonight, Dr. Davis, to see. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. That's that's a tough. One. I remember. Genesis, there was even, a, I think, a Sunday evening series on Genesis, if okay. I remember right. Ron, if Ron doesn't have the record that I have in my book here. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I That's pro- really not fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was paying attention, though. Trust yes. me. No, yes. I, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, there's, it's, it's, uh, 
you know, the one thing I remember, even not the specific, specific book, but um, I know when and we used to talk about this, and you know, our family and all, but when Ralph preached, it was like, every word was meaningful. Yes. You know, there wasn't, um, you didn't need to repeat something on and on and yeah. kind of like add to it. Every illustration or was to the point and just very effective. Yes. And it may not even be what we wanted to hear. I mean, there's encouragement. There's a time for conviction. And not that he would like tickle our ears, but I mean, it was just a good mix of truth and encouragement, I would yes. say. Yes. That's, that's like what I remember overall. And, um, and Ralph is just a very humble person. Yes. Yes, thank you, Ron. Yeah, I, that was unfair to say which books yeah. when it's 20 years ago. Yeah. But I do know for a fact I've looked back at the Asquith archives, and Genesis was one of the books. Right. And um, and, and in fairness, Dr. Davis, you should set the record straight, because I'm probably painting you as a guy who only preaches the Old Testament, which I know is not true. No, but I, I, I do tend to have a bias in that way, uh, Greg. Um, uh, so I would say probably... In in most of my pastors, probably it was kind of a like sixty forty huh. ratio between old and new testaments. I, I, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I I expounded New Testament books and so on, but but uh, you know because because I think of the dearth of of uh, Old Testament familiarity in the church, I kind of have a bias toward toward wanting to bulk up a little bit in that area. Yes. Yes, I'm glad to hear you say that, Dr. Davis, because that has stayed with me. I, I, like many preachers, am admittedly more comfortable in the New Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. But it has been such a tremendous reward, personally and pastorally, to study the Old Testament and then to preach it. And it really is exciting um, to hear people say, Wow, I I never really thought much about the Old Testament, or it's not something I've really uh, mm-hmm. l- you know looked looked to. So, um, w- when would you say, in your own personal spiritual or pastoral development, um, did you sort of know you were going to be an Old Testament emphasis preacher? Well, I don't, I don't know, Greg. It, it's a uh, uh, I have a personality defect um, in, in that. Uh, <laughs> And, and it's kind of been long-standing. Even even when I uh, played sports and so on, I was I was hardly ever on a winning team. <laughs> and uh, even even when I did well on a team, I was usually second best. So um, that that kind of breeds in you always uh, a tendency to pull for the underdog all the time. Mm-hmm. And and so when you have the old and the New Testaments, you just feel sorry that the Old Testament gets neglected, and so, and so you have a tendency to, to go that direction, and, and uh, so that's always been, and, and it's always been, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's not a game, uh, Holy Scripture isn't a game, but there is a certain, uh, hmm, I don't know, tantalizing sort of a temptation uh, that pulls you to the Old Testament, and that and you run into texts there that 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 uh, you don't you don't know how you're going to make head or tail out of it, and and um, uh, it challenges you, it tempts you uh, to uh, try to preach them, and and uh, uh, usually I find that that uh, they are they are preachable, and uh, so so there's a certain uh, it's like the Old Testament kind of lures you to <laughs> to deal with it, and uh, of course, like you said, uh, people will tell you, "Well, they 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 had never dealt very much with it." And of course, I think that's always an advantage for preacher. Uh, I I kind of get the impression when I preach from a New Testament text, I I kind of get the sense that that people think they know it already, yes, because they're more familiar with it, but. But you get in an Old Testament text, and I think it gives the preacher an advantage because very few people are going to contradict what you say because they don't know enough uh, about the text, you know? Yes. Uh, so I think it gives you a certain amount of security there. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
and and uh, as well as informing the people of God in in lots of times uh, areas and passages and chunks of the scriptures that they're unfortunately they they don't familiarize themselves with. Dr. Davis, I was just curious what what it is you think that um, keeps people from really diving into the Old Testament and, and exploring that. And are there, I, I hate to use the word tips or tricks, but is there anything that you could do to encourage people that might help them uh, navigate through the Old Testament a little better? Oh, that's Nathan, right? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, Nathan. Uh, I... I, I don't I don't know Nathan. Um, uh, that, I I think the I, I think the trick is they've just they've just got to force themselves to get into it. <laughs> I, I think it uh, you know the usual stuff that's trumped out. Oh, you've got ceremonial laws some places, and this is a this is a drag, and so on, and you've got genealogies, and it's. And it's such old stuff. Well, so is the New Testament. You know, just about anything they raise, <laughs> yeah. objections they raise about the uh, Old Testament. You know, it's got barbarous uh, uh, narratives and so on. You can also raise about the New Testament. You know, you know so what well, you've got Ananias and Sapphira and stuff like that. And and uh, so, but it's just a matter. I think is so strange to people that that and. The only thing I know to do, I guess, is just use it myself and and get it into the lifeblood of the preaching and teaching routine of the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of have a secret sen- uh, uh, feeling, I may be wrong, but I kind of have a feeling it's the same in the church as it was in seminary. When I was teaching Old Testament in seminary, I always felt that in order to get guys hooked on the Old Testament, I had to show them that it spoke to them. Mm. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean that in my teaching I just conducted a Sunday school class, but it, it means that I have to do more than introduce them to technical and critical studies in the Old Testament and so on. I have to, in my lecturing, show that the Old Testament narratives and so on uh, really nourish them. I mean, if you teach it in such a way that they don't sense I, I, what I would call the theological message or the God-centered message of the text, if you if you if you've got to teach it in such a way that that it grabs hold of students and and says to them, uh, you know, this, this God is your God. You're you're studying a technical piece of material here, and you're in an academic class. But this is putting claims on you, mm-hmm. and 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 sometimes it's it's going to disturb you, and sometimes it's going to comfort the socks off of you. And and if you do that, if if those guys can sense that as you're teaching the Old Testament, that Old Testament text is nourishing them. They're going to say, "I can use this. Mm-hmm. This is something I want for the people I minister to." And mm-hmm. it, and and so, if you do that, then I think you hook guys on the Old Testament. And if you hook guys on the Old Testament in seminary, then you've got pulpits that will use the Old Testament. Um, and I it seems to me it's similar in a congress to get people uh, stirred up on the Old Testament. You just have to demonstrate that it really does have a warmth and a power and a claim on their lives. And when they see that, you know, it's not a fast thing. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, an Alka-Seltzer dose or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, but, but as they, as they begin to see how you treat passages and how they speak of the triune God and so on and the focus there, uh, and they begin to see that Old Testament text nourish them in their faith, then I think they'll be drawn into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just my own hunch yeah. uh, about so, it. So let me ask you uh, this question, Dr. Davis. Do you think that it's possible that the way uh, the Old Testament was treated in Sunday school versus the way the New Testament is tends to be treated in Sunday school has been more of an issue where the Old Testament tends to focus on the people and the attributes that you can get from the people as opposed to focusing on God? 
that may well be. Now, I hadn't thought about that, uh, and and I'm at a distance. I haven't I haven't looked carefully at uh, you know Sunday school curricula that that are used currently. But just from memory, I think uh, lots of times there is a there's a sort of uh, example mentality in Sunday school literature in in elementary Sunday school literature, mm-hmm. and and uh, therefore that that may come through yes and and affects people's attitude to it. Um, it, it would make a very interesting uh, study, I, I think, to analyze uh, various Sunday school curricula and the way they treat the Old Testament. It, it uh, you, you can get some real hummers. There. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Very true. I I found even in the New Testament sometimes, Doctor Davis. That, um, for instance, and I, I I will confess, I had to do uh, a series of children's lessons years ago on the fruit of the spirit. You know, so I'm right there, Galatians oh, mm-hmm. 5. And mm-hmm. it, it's just this default instinct to, to uh-huh. you know, to talk about kindness and tell a story about a boy named Tommy who wasn't kind. And then there was a boy named Timmy who was kind and basically tell the kids, so you guys should go out and be kind. <laughs> you know I mean? So right. I'm finding myself, wait a minute, wait, what am I doing? I'm, 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 I'm basically teaching rank moralism. And then I think, so how, yeah. how do I connect the fruit? Well, I know it's of the spirits. I have to talk about the spirits work. But I, I wonder if part of it with children, to your question, Nathan, is because they are concrete thinkers, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so easy to go, here's what you should do and here's what mm-hmm. you don't do. And, and to, to some degree, yes, we do do that with our children. Like uh, mm-hmm. m- when my children were three or four, they just needed to know, don't touch the stove mm-hmm. um, right. because it's hot and it's an ouchie and you, you and mom and dad said, don't do it. And then as your kids get older, you'd be probably discontent if your 17-year-old uh, had no more view of an oven or moral issues than, than just that. But it, it right. is... Um, it is challenging, uh, no doubt. Sure, it is, and I, I think uh, I think I think it's uh, especially uh, depend I, depends. Uh, you have all sorts of things from soup to nuts in churches and so on. But but some churches, you know, do have a, a specific maybe five minutes where they have a, a children's sermon or a children's talk. Yes, and very very difficult, I think, to do that and do it well. Yes, and and do it with. Um, as you say, without without uh, now without saying now be like this or don't be like that, but to try to furnish the basis for it um, in 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 the work of uh, in the work of Christ and so on. It, it's it's a it's a hard thing. Yes, uh, it, and it's, a, it's the same thing that you only you're dealing with adults more. It's the same thing in preaching. You know, it's always an agonizing thing to you have to you have to study the text. You have to try to understand the text. You have to put it together in a popular form that's mm-hmm. kind of digestible, and yet you have to and you have to simplify the technicalities, and yet you have to simplify without distorting, and and, uh, yes. and keep your focus on what God is doing in it. And it's agonizing yes. every week to 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 do that. Yes. You know, yes. Yes, I can tell, Dr. Davis, I'm learning a lot just listening to you describe sermon prep, and you're making me feel like I'm not crazy, so thank you. Uh, thank you for, for, for just that. Um, I, I'm um, very curious, and I'll put Ron on the spot again, but a little easier this time. One of the things that Ron has told me through the years, if you remember this, Ron, and, and I've allowed him to because I say this from the front, I'm not particularly good at application. We've talked about that here before, and there's, there's reasons for that I won't bore you with. Um, your commentaries, Dr. Davis, are replete with application that always seems to walk that perfect tightrope and that it's specific application. You tell great stories, great anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Ron and I were talking about that earlier. Um, but uh, you or Luann or both of you sometimes have said, Greg, I appreciated the sermon. Put a handle on it. Uh, yeah. give, give me something to take. And I am I, going to admit it is an area I still struggle with. Um, so, Ron, I'm allowing you to say how Dr. Davis is preaching is superior to that of my own. But um, tell me just the way you heard him over the years, because you seem to remember his timely 
illustrations applications. Yeah, well, even even in the books, uh, the commentaries, First and Second Kings and Samuel, especially illustrations that you may have, just simple household even illustrations, yes. something with the kids or something with Barb or something. It's a, a simple illustration that illustrates a very profound truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're very helpful. Yeah. Um, and then also I've noticed in some of the later commentaries, even study questions or questions for reflection, whatever, at the end of the chapter are help apply what was taught, you know, in the cha- in the book or in the preceding chapter. Um, that's that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are great questions, Ron. I I use those on the weeks I prepare the community group study questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm outing myself. I use about half of. Dr. Davis's <laughs> questions because I hate writing questions. <laughs> I'm terrible at writing questions, which probably goes to the application thing. And I've noticed, uh, Dr. Davis, in your earlier commentaries, uh, maybe it's a publishing format issue, uh, they didn't have the questions. In the more recent ones, like I'm using your, your one on, on judges right now, there are very helpful probing study questions at the end of each chapter. Did, did you write those? Did the publisher? Was oh, it? No. <clears throat> No, they, um, th- those questions came up. I think I think Christian Focus, when they mm. began publishing them, uh, took them over. They they um, I think it was on maybe the first and second Samuel uh, volumes uh, were the first ones that that um, uh, one of the fellows, uh, a fellow, a scholar in Scotland at that time, um, uh, Jeffrey Grogan, I think, mm. um, what, uh, supplied supplied the study questions uh, for the Samuel commentaries, I think. And then, um, I, of course, he, is, he has since died, but I know I noticed that in the subsequent reprinting of, of, the, um, of the commentaries that the later printings tend to have study questions with them. So I don't know where those one, those in the, in the Kings and Joshua and Judges um, uh, have come from, but someone else, you know, has read the chapters and then and then written up study mm-hmm. questions on them okay. as well. I, I think they, I think probably Christian Focus just finds that's helpful for some people, uh, you know, if they're using the book in groups or something like mm-hmm. that. Yes, yes, they're, yeah, they're helping me. Uh, <laughs> okay. well, I've, I've, I'm not a good question writer, so, okay. <laughs> so I didn't do it. <laughs> that makes me feel really better, Doctor Davis. Thank you, thank you for that. And and speaking of your commentaries, um, just to uh, give a guide uh, to our uh, our listeners, um, the the six that stand out to me, and I, I think you have some more, but uh, and, and and the ones that you can find easily with Christian Focus are Joshua Judges. First and Second Samuel, First uh, and Second Kings, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Those were the those were the ones on on uh, that that came out first with Christian Focus, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and and you have um, have other commentaries as well. Well, yes. Um, now with Christian Focus, I've got I don't have uh, ones on whole books, but I've got. Um, I've, I've, I've got expositions of say Psalms one to twelve, oh, okay. uh, and Psalms thirteen to twenty-four. Those are called the way of the righteous and the muck of life and uh, slogging along in the paths of righteousness. But hmm. they're they're the same pattern of that kind of exposition. And then there's also um, a, a, a later one on uh, I think it's called Faith of Our Father. It's, it's on the Abraham narrative in Genesis twelve oh, to twenty five. Excellent. So focus has done that, and then I have an ex- more of an exegetical commentary on Micah that that Evangelical Press has published in their in their study commentary series, and then there's a there's one in uh, Intervarsity Presses. Um, their series called The Bible Speaks Today. I've yes. done the uh, replacement volume on Daniel. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yes. The, and the, yeah. the, the Bible Speaks Today is the one John Stott was the, at least the New Testament general editor, was it not? Yeah. And Alec Motier did the Old did. Testament. Right. Uh huh. Excellent. Excellent. And I, I've got to ask, I could really geek out here, gentlemen, for, <laughs> forgive me for this, but I feel like I've got Dr. Davis these few short moments. Um, do you do you have a favorite of I'll say those six historical books that we mentioned? Uh, 
Joshua through Second Kings because that's that's what I look forward to over the next several years. I I preach an Old Testament narrative, swing back to the New Testament, and go back and forth. Do you, do you have a favorite of those six? Do I have a favorite what now? A, a favorite book. Oh, oh, not not really, but yeah. but I suppose if I if if I was held at gunpoint, you know, <laughs> I would probably say Judges, uh, just because it's uh, so wild and and. Um, you know, people don't know what to do with it and so on. And it's, it's always fun to tackle that. Yes. Yes. Well, um, a few questions right now that, uh, I think some of our listeners would like to know some common objections that people have, particularly to the old Testament, um, uh, you know, conquest books, I would say from Joshua on, um, just, I've read your thoughts on this, but just uh, as, a uh, modern skeptic may be saying, man, the Old Testament, you've just got God uh, committed to a policy of ethnic cleansing. He's hes killing Canaanites at will, and it's bloody, and it's imperialistic, and it's, um, it's, it's horrendous. Obviously, that's a very common uh, objection with a lot of teeth today. And college mm-hmm. college kids I talk to regularly that are really tripped up when professors and um, older grad students mentioned that. Just your thoughts on that question, Dr. Davis, as somebody who has spent a good chunk of time in those books. Yeah, I don't know. As, I don't know as you answer every objection. There, there, there are going to be there are going to be some people that are just mad about the Old Testament anyway. But, yes. but um, the, with the conquest matter, like, like in the Book of Joshua and and the extermination of the Canaanites. Um, that that does pose, especially in the light of Islamic jihad and that sort of thing, there's um, raises all sorts of red flags. So, I I usually, uh, at least in Christian groups, um, uh, I usually take them and tell them what they need to get down first is the Old Testament's view of the conquest itself. Whenever there's a problem with with Old Testament passages, the first thing that has to be done in terms of method is to look at the Old Testament text itself and its own claims, uh, rather than just the objections that other people raise about it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I usually take them, for one thing, to Genesis fifteen sixteen, uh, where God told Abraham that he wasn't going to bring Abraham's descendants into the land yet, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Mm-hmm. Well, what's that mean? Well, that means that the people in the land of Canaan... Uh, are going to be under God's judgment, but it has uh, their judge. It has they haven't become they haven't become completely, you might say, ripe for judgment. It's still forbearing, uh, but there is judgment coming. So all the way back in Genesis 15, that was in the works. And then uh, I think there's another passage that has to be kept in mind, and that's Leviticus 18. Uh, where uh, Yahweh tells Israel that they're not to, they're, they're to be holy as he is, which means they're not to be like the Egyptians or the Canaanites. And then you have that long uh, pattern, especially focused on various sexual aberrations and sins, um, I, that, that uh, uh, goes through Leviticus 18, Forbidding Israel, for instance, uh, to practice bestiality, homosexuality, adultery, you know, the whole uh, works and the different uh, degrees of um, uh, close relationships that aren't to be married and that sort of thing. So it goes through all that, but, but uh, you know, he makes it very clearly. It's because the, the people in the land that, that, that uh, practice these things are going to be vomited out of the land. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that the, this was what the Canaanites did. They were they were moral, uh, sex crazed perverts, you might say, and because of that, uh, they were going to be judged by uh, a sovereign God, Israel's God. Um, so that would be a matter of justice when it came, and that and um, that that also comes out again. Another passage is uh, Deuteronomy nine, where God tells Israel that um, He's not giving them the land because of their righteousness, because they're a stubborn people, mm-hmm. but He's driving out the Canaanites because of the unrighteousness of the Canaanites. 
Um, so, so you put that together, Genesis 15, 16, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 9, etc., you put that together, what the conquest is then is, is Yahweh using an unrighteous people, Israel, to bring as an instrument of judgment on a morally perverse people, the Canaanites. So that means it's not, in other words, he's not saying you just go grab anything you want. This is this was a matter of divine justice, mm-hmm. and and God uses other instruments, like He used Babylon as an instrument of judgment on on Judah in the book of Habakkuk and so on. You know, he, he uses evil people <laughs> to yes. bring judgment on other evil people sometimes, and that's what I think is going on with the conquest. So my main point there is, to get across at least to Christians, is you must understand, if if you assume that Yahweh is holy and sovereign, uh, this is an act that the driving out and extermination of the Canaanites is that they have reached uh, the ultimate uh, point where judgment must come, and his using Israel to exterminate them is his just judgment on them. Um, now, you know, even that isn't going to, even with some Christians, uh, the whole matter of of the justice of God bothers them. Yes, uh, but but that's that's a deeper problem. <laughs> right. You know, you've got you've got more problems then uh, with them. But but uh, I start there with the Old Testament's own view of the conquest as as an act of as a just judgment of God on the Canaanites. And you know, he doesn't. It's not that God always does that. To, to a people, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Um, but but uh, there was there was certainly uh, apparently, and, and you can with with the with the sex perverted worship and so on of of uh, Canaanite fertility worship. Um, uh, that that was that was something God God was making an example of them. It's kind of a, like a Sodom Gomorrah affair. Yes. Uh, so. Yes. Well, um, uh, another question that um, I, I know people ask a lot, uh, Doctor Davis, is, um, and maybe this answers why asking the question, as you said earlier, who is God and what is God doing? What I love about that is it saves me the the headache of t- trying to interpret the moral value of the main characters. Uh, and I notice in your commentaries, you're very careful. Number one, not to tell us what characters are thinking when the Bible doesn't tell you what characters are thinking. Mm -hmm. In my early days working with youth, uh, and I've come to regret this, I had some masterful sermons, at least they were in my mind, (laughs) telling telling people what David was thinking when he fought Goliath and what Abraham Uh, was thinking, you know, and then I learned, wait a minute, it never tells us, you know, it tells us what they did, which is probably a, uh, a, a clue there, but... Some yeah. of some of the ambiguity, like uh, in the last two weeks, I've done Ehud uh, and uh, the the Deborah Barak story, at least the oh, cha- yeah. you know, uh, chapter four and JL's tent peg uh, surprise. Um, yeah, and I've had a few people ask me in those sermons, "Hey, uh, what are your thoughts, Greg, on the moral um, nature of those choices? Were they using deception? Is this something we should do?" Just curious to get your thoughts. What? How do we process the human characters doing things we're not sure if they're morally good yeah. or not? <laughs> yeah, I I think um, it, it, it's it's a toughie. Lots of times, I I don't get too um, I, I don't get too antsy about the Ehud and the the uh, uh, Deborah Barrick ones, but but you do uh, sometimes uh, scripture. Uh, it doesn't give you a lot of hints, and uh, it, it can be a hard call. Um, and I think you've got a whole range of those. With now, um, I think with Eod, we're we're probably kind of concerned that we don't give an open um, uh, invitation for assassination of ruler. Or something like that. <laughs> right, so, right. You know, yes. 
um, uh, uh, whether they're heavy or not. But, <laughs> but um, uh, so, so I, I think, though, when when you're interpreting them, you look at them in the context, and there are usually some clues that help. Like like in the in the Ehud narrative, um, the the, um, the fact that it says that the Lord raised up a savior, Ehud, the son of Gera, a left-handed man, and so on. Uh, that tells you that at least the writer, in in, in the viewpoint he takes is that Ehud is an instrument of Yahweh mm. in the overthrow of a tyrant. So whatever it is, I mean, I may have, I may get queasy, you know, about what Ehud does, but, but what the text is saying is uh, Ehud is Yahweh's deliverer. Yes. He, he, he's a savior. Yahweh raised up an answer to the cries of his people. Well, uh, then that's, that means this is a story of salvation, in a sense. And and um, uh, it, it also shows the limitation in another way of Ehud because uh, after Ehud dies, they go back into Baal worship again. Mm-hmm. So it shows that they need more than just a savior who can knock off Moabite tyrants and so on. Um, but but uh, sometimes you have a clue like that. And and with the with the jail episode, for instance, in uh, Judges 4, and by the way, I have a granddaughter whose little name is Jail, maybe no. the only one in, in the United States, I'm not wow. sure. Wow! Uh, uh, I love um, it. But, but um, in Judges 4 with Jail, uh, yeah, that just seems, uh, boy, that, that just seemed brutal. At the same time, you have to real <laughs> you have to realize too uh, how Sisera is being portrayed in in chapter five. Sisera's mother, you know, and so on, and they're talking about the way the the um, uh, Sisera and the guys will be uh, probably raping Israelite girls and so on. So you know, the fact that Sisera is disposed of by jail um, was, in a sense, can be seen as an act of justice as well. Yes. Um, at the same time, the, the real kicker for me, though, there are some people that would lambaste jail there and say, oh, that that was treacherous, etc. Um, you notice in Judges 5, when Deborah and Barak sing that song, mm-hmm. that that they they exonerate jail they they um they um they they put down and they uh criticize those that didn't didn't come to the aid of the Israelite tribes that fought and and so on but <clears throat> but Deborah uh, specifically um uh, uh, uh praises jail and and what she did which which seems to me that the writer then and the thrust of the scripture is uh that that this was a, a proper thing to be done it's a, you know it's a it, it's it's a seeing jail yes <laughs> you might say uh, at, at least in that sense as 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 one who did what ought to have been done in that situation. Uh, so, so that makes me think, you know, whatever you think of Judges 4 and 5, you probably shouldn't take an, an anti-jail uh, stance on yes. it. Uh, <clears throat> so yes. there are some clues. There, there are others, you know, though, that... that uh, <clears throat> well, I just mentioned another one. There, there are other situations, though, where where I don't... I, I think you do have negative uh uh, character actions that are nevertheless used of God. You know, you look at, at um, uh, Genesis 29 and 30 and that soap opera between Leah and Rachel mm-hmm. and, you know, having the babies and so on and the children and all of that, and and it's just a mess. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, you have to say, I think it's legitimate to say, uh, was were multiple wives, uh, was that did that meet with Yahweh's approval? Well, I don't think so in light of Genesis 2.24. But mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, that that was a prevalent custom uh, at some times. Uh, and uh, there you've got, uh, and it doesn't look like it came out very well, 
in uh, Jacob's experience. At the same time, if you look at that, uh, can we use the words redemptive historically, mm-hmm. uh, even though that was a mess, even though there was nothing but uh, disharmony and backbiting and, and anger and grief, etc., and pulling of hair, probably, uh, nevertheless, uh make a promise to Abraham that he was going to make a great nation of him. Mm-hmm. And of all things, there's the fulfilling at the end of, what, Genesis 30, you've got about 12 sons mm-hmm. that forms the core uh, of, of, of Israel. So does that justify all the, the, the uh, frustration and sin and grief and wrong and so on? Uh, no, it doesn't. At the same time, Yahweh nevertheless was bringing to pass his promise through a whole bunch of human crud. Mm. And, and sometimes sometimes that's a point that some of our people need to hear and, and sometimes for their own comfort because of because of failures in their own lives that they look back on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, just a observation and then uh, one last question for you Dr. Davis before you take off I find it interesting because um, a lot of times when I have debates with people on the brutality of um, the killings that happened in the Old Testament people won't flinch or think twice about the brutality that we have going on today we just have more quote unquote civilized weapons to kill with today mm-hmm. and people right. you know, people won't think twice about that and will kind of just gloss over the fact that there's still many deaths and killings going on today I mean you you can go over to Africa and see you know the killing fields that are over there of you know these brutally murdered people and nobody wants to bring that up nobody wants to say anything about that but you know they'll go back thousands and thousands of years ago to talk about the brutality that was happening back then um and i just i find that so interesting mm-hmm. that people aren't willing to acknowledge and and notice the the disconnect between their argument um oh right yeah plus plus those nice uh, evangelical church members that that get so upset over uh, brutality in the Old Testament or something, maybe the same ones who who watch violent movies yeah. on their TV <laughs> with their children yeah. as well, but they'll gripe about it in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very true. Very true. Yeah. Um, and then my last question for you is... Um, there, there are several um, pastors who who study the Old Testament and the New Testament and have typically some kind of short, nuanced way to to look at the Bible as a whole throughout at, in, in redemptive history. And I was just wondering if you had something like that from Genesis to Revelation. Is there an outline that you will typically give your congregation or your students to try to remember that redemptive theme throughout the entire Bible? Oh no, there's not really. There's a, there's a scheme that I've used before to kind of just show the the pattern that that um, uh, you know goes from the universal in in the early chapters of Genesis to the to the uh, choosing of Israel and then to the remnant and then to Jesus himself and then the Jewish Gentile remnant in the early church, etc. I, I sometimes I, I have that schematized a little bit, but I don't I don't really have one. I, I do um and I guess it's in um uh, I put out a little little book called The Word Became Fresh and and uh in that book it has to do with with uh preaching narrative and one of the one of the chapters I, I focus on uh, the uh, mainly the Abraham narrative, and and highlight the the uh, the uh, scheme of of the promise to Abraham in Genesis twelve and following, mm-hmm. and I I think that provides a fairly good. You can usually pick up one of those aspects of that uh, promise. Uh, throughout Scripture, if you just have it in the back of your mind, and of course that 
that was uh, the, the, I call it the quad promise. There, there are four elements. Uh, the one part was people. I'll make of you a great nation. So he's going to have descendants. He's going to have a nation, etc. Uh, the other part was uh, place. I'm going to give you a land, uh, Canaan, etc. You're going to have a place. Uh, and that follows through, of course, even into John 14. I go to prepare a place for you and all that. Um, and then there's the uh, either uh, an element of sometimes it's protection. In Genesis 12, it was protection. Uh, he said, uh, I will bless uh, those who bless you, and the one who despises you I'll curse. That's a protection clause. Sometimes it's it's uh, set in terms of presence, like he said to Jacob, I will be with you and keep you wherever you go. So protection, presence, that's the third one. And then the fourth one is program. In Genesis 12, 3, he says, in you all the families of the ground will be blessed. Well, that, that means that through Abraham and his descendants, there's coming blessing on the world. I think as you go through, you see that comes to fruition in in Christ Jesus. So, but 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 if you follow those those four elements, uh, either people, place, uh, presence, or protection, and and program, um, even in the in the Book of Genesis, it, it it provides a key for interpreting various passages uh, that that opens them up. You know, like like. Um, uh, uh, well, you know, Genesis 24, the 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 uh, bride for Isaac, you know, that sort of thing. Well, <laughs> it wasn't just it, it's not just how do you find a girl uh, <laughs> right. or right. principles of guidance, but the whole thing behind that is uh, I, you know, there's no seed. I mean, there's Isaac and so on, but that's all there is. Yeah. And and if the chosen people are going to go on, if there's still going to be a people, you know, Isaac's got to get got to get a uh, wife and so on. So that it's really connected to the original promise and. And it uh, doesn't mean that there's not a lot of rich stuff about God's providence there and so on. But, but uh, it, it seems to me those four, those four elements go on through Scripture, and mm-hmm. I find them recurring uh, again and again. But I don't have any magic schematic to, to, uh, particularly that I, that I put out there. Mm-hmm. No, those were, were, uh, were excellent, though. And I want you to notice, guys, that's a case where they all start with the same letter, but it makes sense. Um, because yeah. I, I have given many an outline in the past. I haven't done this much where one of those letters is forced. You know, uh, I remember one of the I had like four R's and for the fourth one, I couldn't come up with, uh, come up with anything. So I said the really necessary uh, element of such and such just to get that fourth R in and. That might be where you're, you're forcing something. It's like a shoehorn on the Bible yeah. text. But uh, no, that was that was excellent. Yeah. Well, alliteration is nice when it when it happens naturally. You yes. Know, I, I sometimes say it's sort of like it's sort of like Aaron's calf. It just came out that way. Right. And, <laughs> and if it's that way, it's okay. But sometimes, if you have to go to the thesaurus, you know, and look it up and squeeze it in, then, then it gets a little confused. Yes, yes yeah. that's good. I, I'm going to use that Aaron's calf. Thing. <laughs> and out came this calf. Uh, that, was, that was excellent. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Davis. We are going to go ahead and sign off now. It's been such a pleasure. Okay. Um, we hope sure. that um, we'd be able to have you on sometime in the future just to um, continue with this discussion and talk about some other things as well so thank you again okay yes great good okay. to good to be with you and good to good to hear ron yep it's good All talking right. with okay. you okay we're gonna go ahead and Thanks. sign off greg ron dr uh dr davis we just rocked the casbah redemptively <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you just uh, finished listening to Dale Ralph Davis. We are going to give away uh, two of his books again. Uh, we're going to, or two of his books. Uh, we're going to do the iTunes review, iTunes reviews again, uh, in order to do that. Uh, but first, we want to go ahead and announce last week's winners. Um, so, Greg, we're going to go ahead and we had three reviews, correct? Three reviews come in last week, which means two of those three are going to get them. I'm so sorry for the third dude. You know what? Forget it. I'm going to give the third guy a book. All right. So there we go. How about that, Nathan? So uh, Zachary Bartles has written 
Oh, the smoking, uh, what, the Christian... Christian companion. Companion to the Christian Gentleman Smoking Guide. Yeah. If you were into cigars, and that's one of the books. He's got his two really cool novels. I, I've made more headway since yes. 11 pages. <laughs> on uh, Playing Saint yep. and The Last Con. And the uh, Gut Check Guide to Publishing. Yep. So those are the four books. Let us know which one of those. Uh, we've got Dwayne 21. Uh, your review number 86, Dwayne21, gave us five stars. Thank you. Ecclesia Rob, review number 87, gave us five stars. Thank you. And I love this one. Big Kahuna in Gville. Uh, what's Gville, guys? What is that? I don't know if I want to know. I know. I was going to say, man, let's just leave that to the imagination. But five-star review. So you three get a book of your choice from Zachary Bartles. Let us know. And for tonight's contest, we're just going to do the same thing, Nathan. Yep. And Ron Gordy, you too could win one of these. All right. All you got to do is go to iTunes, search out These Go To 11 Podcast, and um, where you can enter a review, type in a review. It doesn't have to be positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, We promise you, you could give us like a zero-star review. I think Mm -hmm. you can't give zero. One star. One star, And you you could still win. So, Ron, I, I know what to look for. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to know if uh, Ron's review is going to be like, these guys have the worst breath and body odor. (laughs) Wait a minute, how could you discern that through through your iPhone? We'll start thinking he's sat in with us uh, to know. And uh, if you write that up, uh, because again, those reviews help us. And uh, you will win uh, one of Dr. Davis's, of your choice, commentaries. He mentioned six tonight. Uh, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Having worked through several of those commentaries, and Ron, you, you've looked mm-hmm. at those two, just unbelievably good. They are scholarly, yet easy, readable. Easy to read. Easy to Definitely, read. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not kidding, Ron. His illustrations are just right. slam dunks. Right. I mean, they, they always make such great... And you're right, you even said, sometimes you're like, I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> right. And then he, he, pulls he pulls it off. It's right. it's it's really great. Right. And I don't know about you guys. Did you guys feel increasingly dumb when Doctor Davis was speaking tonight? <laughs> yeah. And it, I figured I better just be quiet yeah. here and listen <laughs> a little bit. When he's just kind of casually riffing on Leviticus 18, I'm like, there is no chapter in Leviticus that I can make easy reference of. Um, I see somewhere in that book with the rules it says this, but um, no, just a. Uh, I have to say, Dr. Davis's uh, scholarship is, uh, I mean, he's up there with, with any Old Testament exegete you would read, but he really has chosen, Ron, to write on a popular level. Mm-hmm. You know, as one preacher heard years ago, so you got to put the cookies on the bottom shelf <laughs> where everybody can reach him. Um, and, and he's really done that. So uh, we will be giving one of those, two of those commentaries yep. to two winners next week as well. Yep. Now, if we only get three reviews, I'm just going to be a softie and give a third one again. All right. So, guys, don't make them a softie. Get out there and write those reviews. Write the reviews. They help get the podcast into more places. Yep. All right. See Thanks, ya. guys. These go to 11.